are so grateful. God, that you are not just some tolerant father that lets us live in your house, but we get the corner. You're not a father that when we run home, that you say, well, I guess you can live here. Here's your brother's robe. He's not using it anymore. Lord, we're grateful that when we run home to you, God, that you run to us and you give us the best. And so, God, we are grateful for your love that you you don't just tolerate us, but you love us and you like us. And that you dance over us and you sing over us and that you rejoice with us and that when we get there someday, I don't think we're going to be the only ones singing. God, I am so grateful for your love. And I just pray that today as we learn how to, to maybe engage on an emotional level, Lord, with you, Lord, that we would not distrust our emotions. Lord, that we would see them as part of us, as part of a whole. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and be in our hearts. Help us to feel that. Lord, we love you a lot. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Adam and worship team. You know, today is an interesting day. We're talking about feelings. Uh, You know, feelings, nothing more than feelings, right? I mean, those songs were, could be pretty emotional. And and typically in our world today, especially men, and I know that that we have some ladies that aren't here today, and I know the ladies went on to a re- went to a little mini retreat this weekend down in Fort Collins with Kathy Tricoli. I hope that was really good. Um, I hope that there's transformation occurring in your life as there is in mine. Um, but we're going to talk about feelings today. Uh, as I think, as I thought this week about songs that include feelings, this song right here came to my mind. Garrett, we used to watch that at youth group, didn't we? Oh man, the first time I ever showed that at youth group, we had the sound turned way up and and I just, every kid in the room just jumped when that that ball hit the floor. 
songs in today's culture, secular songs especially, revolve a lot around feelings. And, and, and to the contrary of that, well, just those words, I was afraid, I was petrified, um, I could never live, there's anxiety in there, um, but then, then there was anger, just in the lyrics of that little innocent-sounding song, right? Um, but, but in the church, um, throughout the course of years, um, there's been a lot of pastors that have done a disservice to the people in teaching them the complete opposite of that, 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 that our Christian life, that, that our life should be more cerebral than emotional. And, and I understand that there are extremes to both sides. There, there are those who say, if I can get along in life without feeling much, without having any highs and lows, just pretty much being in control of everything, that God is pleased with me. And there are some who say that unless I'm, I'm moved to tears, the Spirit isn't doing anything in my life. I, there, there are complete extremes on both sides of those things. And, and what I want us to do today is kind of move to the middle, to, to more of a balance. And for you men, this could be a challenge because we typically live, we don't, we don't live, well, typical men um, don't live with their emotions on their shirt sleeve. They don't let out that they're hurting or, or that they're anxious or that they're afraid. They try to put on a man face and, and just not let anybody know that they're feeling anything. And what we need to know is that that's not how God created us. That's not who our God is. And so we're going to talk today about, uh, about some things that God, does he do emotion? Does God do emotion? Does he? We're going to see that. We're going to look in his word. Uh, we're going to look in the Bible and we're going to see how it describes him. Now, we've, we've talked about things like our spiritual health. That was week one. Uh, second week, we looked at our physical health. We were challenged in that way. Uh, we looked last week at what it means and, and what sort of decisions we have to make to have a healthy mind, that, that, that we are to take captive our thoughts, that, that we are in control of that. And, uh, and that was very challenging. And this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about emotions. Now, I wonder how you feel this morning. You know, maybe this is the first time you've ever come to North Hills and you were feeling a little anxious when you pulled in the parking lot. It's like, where do I go? What do I do? And to be honest, uh, we don't really give you really good directions when you come into the parking lot. You just sort of have to hope that there's other people that know what they're doing get here before you and you just kind of follow them. Um, which, you know, it's, it's gotten better since we've built the big overhang out there. It kind of says, you know, this is the main entrance if you've driven by the building <laughs> and have seen it. Um, maybe, maybe this morning there's something that happened in your life last night or last week and you're angry about something. I mean, you're seething about something and you're just holding on to that thing. Uh, maybe that's the emotion that you're feeling. Maybe you're sad this morning. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're joyful. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're, con- you're just quite content. Life couldn't be any better. And, and you have just this feeling of, of contentment in your life. Some people say that, you know, emotions aren't good. In fact, um, we shouldn't even express them in church, especially laughter. Oh, heaven forbid you should not laugh in church. Right? Did I hear somebody laugh just now? Uh, some people think that, that deeply sorrowful people ought to grow up and get their tears under control. Uh, some people um, 
uh, angry people ought to soften up a bit and back off a little. Gentle people should toughen up. I mean, I will survive, right? They should get a little bit tough. And to meet God's approval whenever emotion, whatever emotion we're feeling, should some sort of pass through some sort of spiritual filter and we should just grow up. Which begs a question. Is that what God really intended? Uh, Another song that came to my mind was a song that has the lyric, Big Boys Don't Cry. Right? Big Boys Don't Cry. Baloney. Baloney. That's right, Garrett. I'm not a big boy, if that's the case. Um, So we're going to find out what Scripture says. Look, look up here on the screen. Colossians 1.15 says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, so we want to investigate whether God feels emotion. And, and the Bible says that Jesus is a direct reflection. Jesus is God. We know that to be true. So we can look at the life of Jesus and, and his time on the earth and before and see whether God is emotional or not. John 15.19 at the end of that verse, it says this, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is a perfect reflection of God. So we can look at Jesus' life and we can answer the question, does God do emotion? Is God an emotional God? Does he do it? So the first, the first point in your notes this morning, very simple. Last week it was a flood of notes. This week it's four simple points. Does God do joy? Does God do joy? Happy. Is God, does, it, does God ever delight in things? And does he express it and experience it deeply? You know, think about it this way. If God were to score a winning touchdown, would he calmly hand the ball to the ref? Or would he run over in the corner and do a victory dance with his teammates? How, what, how would God do that? Well, I think we can look at the, the first chapter of the Bible and we can see uh, we know the story of Genesis. We know the story of creation. We know that, that after each day, God said what? It is good. God stepped back and he said, wow, it's good. And in fact, I, I wonder, and only God could do this without sinning. I did good. I did good. That's good. And he delighted in his creation, what he had just made. And then, and then, there's even a more amazing thing that God does. He creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day. He looks down on them, and what does he say? It's very good. It's very good. You don't look at something and say it's very good if you're not having joy in that thing or delight in that thing. God said, uh, and, and then he said, I think I need a vacation and rest, and he took day seven off, right? He didn't need rest. But I think he knew that we did. God is just amazing. Um, I, Adam actually read this verse already, um, but I want you to look at Zephaniah 3.17. Again, the Lord your God. The Lord your God. Read that. The Lord my God is with you, the mighty warrior who, who saves. He will take great delight in you, in me. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Singing. God sings over you. 
You know, you hear messages every day. You're not worth anything. You're worthless. You're too slow. You're too big. You're too small. You're not tall enough. You're, you're whatever. God loves you as you. In fact, having been created in the image of God, he rejoices over you with singing. When God sees you, when God sees you, the person he has created, he says, man, you know what? That reminds me of a song. And he sings it. What about Jesus? One time Jesus found himself in one of the most emotion-packed ceremonies that human beings can ever be in. Can you guess what that is? A wedding. I saw pictures of a couple weddings this weekend. A a wedding can be incredibly emotionally packed. Last summer, I was a part of two great ones. Beautiful weddings, outdoor weddings. One was in uh, Custer State Park, and and the other one was in JM, Wyoming. They were both beautiful. There's always a risk with outdoor weddings, though, right? And it doesn't matter what time of, what what month it is. Um, I was in a wedding at a, in a, time of the month where it should have been nice outside and it snowed. Um, I've been, I, I've been, I've officiated weddings where it was really windy or there was a storm a brewing or, or uh, it was really hot, you know, like half the chairs were in the shade and half the chairs were in, I mean, I'm recalling weddings that I've done here. Um, I did a wedding in Cheyenne where all through, all through setting up before the wedding, the, uh, the National Guard was revving C-130 engines at the airport. I mean, just right across the road. And we're thinking to ourselves, what on earth are we going to do? We, we were, we were going to draw straws to see who would call the bomb threat in to the airport so that they would stop <laughs> doing that. We were joking about that. And, and you know, miraculously, I, like 10 minutes before the, the ceremony started, they quit. It was, it was almost like they knew. We got this time frame, right, to, to check our engines. It was loud. Um, but, but there's also something, also something about weddings that I think, if, if, if I could be honest with you, um, a, a lot of weddings tend to be, you know, kind of dull, right? Kind of bland, especially for the, not, not for the, the immediate family, right? I mean, it's all about the immediate family, but, but you've been to a wedding, right, where you're sitting there and you're just looking at your watch and you wonder how much longer the pastor could go on, and of course, that's never happened with one of mine, right? Mine are always fun and exciting. But Jesus is at this first century wedding, which is absolutely nothing like a dull wedding. I mean, they partied in the first century when it came to weddings. They were were raucous occasions. They they lasted a week sometimes. They would party for a day or two at the uh, bride-to-be's house. And And then they would go to the groom's house for a couple days. And then they would all get back together before the ceremony. And they would have this, there's like this, this kidnapping of the bride away and, and all of this traditional stuff that they would do. And then, of course, after the wedding ceremony, there would be music and dancing and food, a lot of fun. Really too much fun for lots of the, the religious leaders of the day. And, in fact, Jesus was, uh, you know, Jesus, he didn't really bring it, but he brought it. He brought wine to one of the ceremonies. Um, Jesus knew delight. He knew happiness. He experienced it. And sometimes I think we, we, we are all on the cerebral side of our faith. That it's just all about knowing this or thinking this, and it's not about feeling. There's got to be some emotion 
Jesus knew joy. He knew delight. You know what? One of the most one of the recurring phrases that Jesus uses um, in his ministry, it's found in John 15, 11. I have told you these things, Jesus said. You, you ought to do this. You ought to think of this. You, you ought to know this. You ought to believe in this way. Why? So that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So that you'll lead what? Joyful lives. In our world today, in our economy, in our culture in Wyoming, life can get to be a drag. Your schedule is packed. You hardly have any time for anything. It's running from this to that. And, and we don't, as they say, take the time to stop and smell the roses. I said it to the post office just the other day, and, and, and this, this idea of stopping and smelling the flowers caught my eye as one of those bushes next to the post office was blooming. And I stopped for a moment and smelled these little itty-bitty blossoms that were coming on. I'm sure I looked a little strange, but I was just thinking to myself, you know, we just got to stop and smell the flowers sometime. I want to give you a way to remember this, that Jesus experienced joy and happiness and that he wants you to experience joy and happiness. When you go to the next wedding, Oh, in fact, any time you see a cake, whether it's a wedding or a birthday party or something, um, I, want, I want you to think in your mind that God knows delight, God knows joy, God knows happiness. Be interested to see if you look at a wedding cake the same after thinking about that. Well, what about the flip side of that? Does God do sadness? Does God do sadness? Does he ever experience soul-wrenching sorrow? Because there's no doubt that we have. There's no doubt that you have, likely, sometime in your life. Well, there was this one day that Jesus heard that his close friend Lazarus has died. He was really good friends with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And he travels to the town where he meets the two sisters and the crowds out front of the grave. And Jesus arrives, and they're all probably watching him. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't want to be watching Jesus to see how he would respond to this? And, and quite honestly, he was, a, he was a mess. Right? Do you remember the situation? The shortest verse in the Bible, say it with me. Jesus wept. He wept. He wept. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem... He was moved with compassion. And Jesus says this, when, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. And it says that, that he had compassion. The message translation, paraphrase, says his heart broke over these people. And then in Matthew twenty six thirty eight, we come across Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's trying to explain to his disciples what he's feeling, what he's experiencing. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, he says, and keep watch with me. 
I can't imagine the sadness and the sorrow that Jesus was feeling at that moment in time. So severe that he thought it might even kill him. Have you ever experienced that kind of sorrow in your life? Have you ever experienced that kind of sadness? You know, and I'm not talking a glancing blow, but a, but a right out gut, uh, fist to the gut punch. What about God the Father? Does God do sadness? Psalm 56.8 says this, Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? And, and, and here's how I want you to think about this. The, the Living Bible translates that verse this way. You have seen me tossing and turning through the night. You have collected all my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You have recorded everyone in your book. Now, they use that language because it's referring to uh, a tradition in, in the early years. When uh, in the Middle Eastern custom, when a soldier would go off to battle, he would give his wife a, a jar. And, and she would take that jar and she would say this, your absence will make me so sad that I will cry every night, but when you come back, I'll give you this back and you'll know how precious you are to me. In other words, I will catch my tears in this bottle and you will see the sorrow that I experienced in your absence. I mean, that's quite a custom, isn't it? I, I can't imagine in the moment of tears trying to catch them in a bottle, but that's what they did. This verse says that God lists these tears on a scroll. He keeps a record of our sorrow. Some of you right now, you're facing things that wear you down and beat you up. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one in your family. Mother's Day's coming. And maybe you've lost your mom in the last year, in the last 10 years. And, and everybody's going to be celebrating Mother's Day with their moms, but you're not able to. That can be hard. That can be difficult. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're looking for work and you can't find it. You've gone through a business failure. Maybe you've lost your health. You toss and turn at night. You can't sleep. And that certainly doesn't help your health situation. What you need to hear this morning is that God knows sadness. God knows it. In fact, he knows your sadness. He's recording it. Here, here's, here's, the picture of, here, here's the picture I have of us entering heaven. We, we, and I don't know what exactly this looks like. I'm, you know, we enter heaven, we're before God, and God says, hey, I want to show you something. I want to show you something about how much I loved you, how, how much I was aware of your situation and what you were going through. And he pulls out this scroll and he shows this list of all of these times in your life when you were experiencing tears. He keeps a record. Not just a checklist and a tally, but so that we may know how much he knows us and loves us and feels our sadness. It's almost like he can't stand the thought of us experiencing sorrow because he knows what that's like. I don't know, but some here have been taught somewhere along the line that if you're a Christian and you're doing the program right, 
You just suck it up, put on a plastic smile, and forge ahead. That's the Wyoming way, isn't it? You get bucked off the horse, what do you do? You don't cry. Somebody's kid yesterday fell out of a tree 10 feet. And uh, um, they, they, they lived here. It was one of um, Cam Larson's boys, his youngest, on his birthday. Cam called the ambulance. He's okay, no broken bones. But he said Noah wanted to be so strong for the, for the medics when they came. And he didn't want to cry in front of them. And I think to myself, isn't that just typical of us? Dying on the inside in all kinds of pain, yet we hold in the very thing that God gives us to release that. See, I believe the tears are a gift from God. If you've had something hard in your life, like in 1987 in February when my mom died, I cried the morning she died. We were all together in the living room. Dad did not. I don't think I ever saw Dad cry. And it wasn't until two years later, I might have shed a tear or two, I don't know, but... it was at an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meeting when the, the amount of sorrow finally came over me so much I couldn't hold it anymore. And I wept. It had to be 40 minutes. Uncontrollable weeping. It was, it was in, the upper, in an upper room at the student union at the University of Wyoming with people around. I had come to the point, and, and you would not believe, maybe you would, maybe you've been there, how good I felt after that weeping. It's almost like from that moment on, I can't control it. It just happens. (laughs) They're a gift. A gift from God, and God knows sadness. We say all things work out for good, and we know that in our head, and we know that's true, and we know that will be true one day, but in that moment of time, that's not how we feel. And that's okay. Because... Look at this. Jesus didn't say in the moment of weeping for Lazarus, oh, it's going to be all, you know, I'm just going to make it good. Now, it eventually does. But he didn't pull that card out in that moment in time. He wept. He wept. God, God does joy. God does sadness. Number three, does God do anger? Does God do anger? Um, this, this week I read a very interesting event in the Old Testament about a guy named Elisha. And I'm just going to give you the cliff notes right here. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. This verse right here kind of sums it up. Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy. They said, get out of here, Baldy. Did you know that was in the Bible? They were ridiculing him for the way that he looked. And, and you know what Elisha did? He, he got so angry that he called down a curse on those boys. And, and, and in the midst of this, God is angry too. I mean, I don't know the whole situation or why God reacted in this way, but God was extremely angry. And God sends some bears that come out of the woods and they maul 42 of these boys to death. 
I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know. Does God do anger? Yes, he does. Now, Psalm 103, verse 8 says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. You see, it's, it's, anger is not God's basic disposition. But it's one we can push him to, I think. He's patient. He's loving. He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. God does get angry, but he's slow. Jesus clearly got angry several, several times. We see in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus said, this is a house of prayer, and what does he do? He chases the people out, and he's not pleased. Ephesians 4.26, this is a very important verse, because as soon as I say it's okay to be angry, you need to recognize this verse right here. In your anger, do not sin. So if anybody tells you that it's a sin to be angry, I I don't think they're right. Because the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So when you're angry, be sure you're not sinning. Now for me, that's pretty difficult. I got to be honest with you, and I'm ashamed to say, and and I'm going to say this publicly because it will help me this week. We played soccer in Buffalo yesterday. And I'm telling you, the refs were absolutely terrible. I don't know what game they were watching. And I told them so over and over and over and over again. And you laugh, but as I think about it, it's not very funny. Because there were times when some of the other people were yelling and I was in agreement with them, but I was noticing that it didn't really sound right. And as many times as I've said to people, you know, you shouldn't yell like that. You see, that anger was in sin. It was wrong. So, what sort of anger can we have and not sin? That's a good question. I'm going to answer that at the end of the message. God knows sadness, God knows joy, God knows anger. Anger is only one of God's emotions, and fortunately so is gentleness, so is tenderness. That's number four, tenderness. Isaiah 42 verse 3 says this, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. The weakest reed, I feel that way sometimes, God's tender-hearted. He's gentle. He's not going to crush me because I screwed up yesterday. There are people here that are feeling weak. You feel bowed. You feel bent. And you wonder if you can withstand it any longer. And you feel like a flickering candle. And you know something happened. Harsh words. A friend's anger. A betrayal. Or your own failure. But at the core of God is this tenderness, this gentleness, and he does tenderness, tenderness like no one else. Jesus, the one assigned the most important mission in the world, the one whose public teaching often attracted thousands and thousands of people, would very often sneak off to the side and meet one-on-one with the Father. 
And then he would also sneak off one-to-one and, and in small groups, and he would meet with broken people, hurting people. He put children on his lap when his disciples said, oh, we don't have time for that. He was gentle and tender-hearted. He felt their hurt, and on behalf of their God, he reached out to them with healing, comfort, forgiveness, and love. Jesus' sensitivity to the human condition was deep. It was deep. In fact, Jesus almost never made it from point A to point B without stopping and helping someone, did he? We do. Psalm 34:18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. God has a tender side. And it's in that relationship with him that we meet that tender side. Now, I know that I've said this before, but I want to use this illustration again. Um, Horatio Spafford was a believer. He was a businessman in Chicago. In the 1800s, he was a Christ follower. And he wrote the the hymn that we're going to sing to close our service today. Or that we're going to sing next. He was intelligent. His career was escalating. He had lots of property in Chicago. And then something disastrous happened. A cow kicked over a lantern and burned the city of Chicago down. I don't know if that's how it really happened. That's what I hear. It burned down and he lost everything. He lost all of his property in 1873, two years after this happened, he wanted to get his family away from the stress. They were still trying to figure out how to live and they decided that they as a family were going to go over to Europe and they were going to minister with another, uh, an evangelist. And, and uh, just before they were to leave, in 1873, he had to go to a business meeting to, to, to sort of finish up all of the stuff with the property that had burned down. I mean, they're leaving Chicago. And it's not like they could just, you know, jump on the the next ship in the next four hours, right? These are sailing ships that they're riding on. And and so he goes, he convinces his wife and his four daughters. Um, He also had a son, but his three-year-old son had contracted scarlet fever in 1870 and had died. That was a year before the fire. So he put his wife, Anna, and his four daughters on a ship, and and they were sent. And on November 22nd, now listen to this, 1873, it doesn't give me the date that they got on the ship, but on November 22nd, that ship that his wife was on, the Villa de, it's in French, I can't pronounce it collided with another one, and in 20 minutes it sunk. And of the 226 people, there were 226 people that lost their lives. His wife was one of only 27 that survived, and all four of his daughters drowned. And when she got to London, she sent a telegram to Horatio saying that they had drowned and she had survived, and 
It was with a heavy heart and with deep sadness that he, abort, that he boarded another ship to go to her in London. And on that voyage, in the approximate area where his daughters drowned, he took out a pen and paper and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Was it well with his soul because he didn't feel pain, because he didn't feel sorrow, because he didn't feel sadness? Absolutely not. It was well with his soul because... His eyes were on the God that he knew was close to the brokenhearted. And he knew that his wife and daughters would dwell in the house of the Lord forever together one day. And in the midst of that heartache, in the midst of that loss, he called on the peace of God and as an act of faith, he started to, gl- to declare, it is well with my soul. So even in the emotion that you feel, And you can know that that's okay because God, we've seen it today, God is an emotional God and you and I are created in his image. But in the midst of those emotions, we must remember that he is tender and that he loves you deeply. And he wants to transform our lives in the midst of that Four really quick things. Here's ways in which we can operate in the midst of these feelings this week. And, and, and I, I want you to think about your emotions and your feelings this week. First, first thing I want you to do this week is I want you to celebrate more. I mean, sometimes when we have a birthday party or something, we think, oh, it's another thing to go to, and oh, I got to clean the house, or whatever, I got to bake a cake, or I got to run to Walmart and buy a cake, or whatever. When all that's done, let's stop in the moment. Let's think about the joy that's, that's represented in this day. One more year with this kid or this wife or this husband or this mother or father. Go recreate a little bit more this week. Seriously. If I know most of you, you work hard. Listen to music. Go fishing when it's not snowing. You know, experience joy. And don't feel guilty about it. That's the biggest thing for me. When I try to step back and take a rest, it's like, well, I, should, I need to get this done. I should be doing this, right? Celebrate more. Number two, and some of us need to ex- some of us need to experience deep soul wrenching sorrow. Maybe you've ex- experienced something really difficult, but you've never really grieved it. Remember that tears are a gift from God, and maybe you are grieving it. And there's some that are looking at you with disdain and say, "Aren't you over that yet?" You know what? Punching them in the mouth is not an option. But, but I want you to just kind of roll your eyes and think, you know what? You just have no idea. No idea. And know that the tears are a gift. You see, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, grieve, grieve, grieve freely. But it doesn't say just grieve. It says, don't grieve like those without hope. 
grieve in the midst of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves you deeply and is right there with you in the midst of those tears. Some of you need to experience anger. You need to be angry. There's things we need to be angry about. Oppression, injustice, discrimination, people who mistreat people. You know, if another man made a pass at my wife and I wasn't angry, shame on me. Right? That might have been an unfortunate glance right there. I'm not sure. (laughs) I meant you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey, stop laughing. And then number four, you know, some, some of us need to be more tender. You know, we sort of have this personality and we say, and that's kind of our excuse to say whatever we want, whenever we want. We need to recognize that, 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 that there needs to be some tenderness there. When I, when I was in college, I don't remember when it happened, but I do remember praying this prayer, asking God to give me a gentle spirit. And, and I, I think he's answered that. I don't know how untender I was before, really. But that was something that I specifically asked for, and I believe that God has granted me that. So what are those things? Maybe you just need to ask God for tenderness in your heart. Maybe when it comes to your friends or your families or marriages or or your children. You know, ultimately, God wants to transform us into being Christ-like. And we've seen today that he experiences joy. Let's be like Christ. That he experiences sadness. Let's be like Christ. That, that he experiences anger. Let's be like Christ. And he was very tender-hearted and very gentle. Let's be like Christ. And as we go to the communion table, let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Let's, let's experience this table with all of those emotions. And let's remember, which is what this is for, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And as we, as the ushers, as the servers come forward, they'll pass this as it comes by. Take a piece of bread, take a cup. Partake of communion when you're ready. If you don't, I'm not going to explain a lot because we're out of time. I I apologize for that. Um, If you've never taken communion before, talk to me after. Um, There's an information sheet out in the foyer next to the information counter. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in it. Thank you for how you've created us. And I pray, Father, that this week as we focus on the emotional, our emotional health, that we would turn to you. We would cry out to you. Give us guidance, Lord, as we end the service today celebrating, remembering the sacrifice that you made for us that we could know salvation and eternal life. Thank you for your broken body and for your shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen.